And welcome, one and all, to another edition of Night Shift. I am Bryson Turner, and with me is Eric Lopez. And Eric, I'm not exactly sure how to feel about this. We got the win over Georgia Tech, 27-10. I would not be shocked if I heard that Jeff Collins gets fired at some point in the next 24 hours or so. But I don't know. I mean, I have some mixed feelings about this game. I don't think you're alone in that. Uh, certainly, people are. I have a feeling are gonna have some interesting comments. Certainly, we welcome everybody to send your comments to our chat room as well as on our Twitter page, and uh, we'll try to answer as many questions as we can. Kyle Nash is at the stadium; he's doing post game right now. He'll join us later in the program. On that, of course, you can follow us at uh, BlackandGoldBanneret.com, Facebook, and Twitter, Bryce. But yeah, I, it, it's. Uh, not a fun game, was it? I mean, <laughs> it was uh, was kind of a head scratcher for a while. UCF ends up winning, although uh, to some people uh, that use that play the point spread, they might feel like they lost because they didn't cover. Uh, but nonetheless, yeah, it's a weird game where first of all, the special teams played well. We got a kicker. We got a kicker, Bryson. We got a kicker. Oh, he's a he's a pretty good boomer. I'll tell you that. Boomer going three for three. And who would have thought with the field goals, Georgia Tech missed on two kicks. And then defensively, they did what they had to do. Uh, but, uh, yeah, the offense, well, well, it's the offense. Uh, but, so, yeah, no, it's uh, – I don't think it's a smooth sailing win. At least they won, right? That's the way you got to look at it. You didn't have to play your best game today to win. You're going to have to play much better in weeks to come. But, um, you know, George O'Leary, who threw, did the coin toss, would be proud of this game. I would agree. With, I would agree with that. I, <laughs> I think the only aspect of the offense that I think performed on the at least solidly today is the rushing. Plumley, I mean, Plumley may have not had a good night as a passer, but he, he managed to get do some good stuff with his legs going 100 yards and with that, with that touchdown. Well, a lot, there. of course, he broke that big run late, but. You wonder, you just kind of cringe sometimes at some of the throws that are missed, right? Like on the screen pass to Richardson, a couple there early in the game. At some point, you know, I watched Cincinnati beat Indiana up today. When you play Cincinnati and those teams, they're going to have to throw the ball a little bit better. What is it? Did I, is this right, Bryson? You got you're younger than I. You're, you just turned 22 recently. Is Bowser really their leader in recep, uh, receiving yards in this game? You yes, you're not. You're not, you're not. You're not. Now I, this might be net receiving yards because Richard. Um, because Johnny Richardson has a yards after catch of fourteen, even though he's listed as having three receiving yards. So it might be a net thing. But yeah, I mean, based on net receiving yards, Bowser is the one that leads after due to his twenty-two yard catch. And even then, when you look at targets, a majority of them were taken by Ryan O'Keefe and Johnny Richardson. So the passing game was really just not working at all tonight. I mean, you look, I mean, really all this, a lot of this game offensively to get the Knights into position to get those field goals from Colton Boomer were runs from mainly Bowser and RJ Harvey this time. RJ Harvey had a, got a good bit of work tonight going 12, rushing 12 times for 73 yards. What'd you think of him tonight? Uh, he's did fine. I thought the line actually played pretty well, right? We've kind of, let's be fair, two areas of the game that we people have been critical about UCF 
is the offensive line and the special teams. I thought both were fine for UCF today. I thought the offensive line did it held its own. And then special teams, you had the block punt for the touchdown. You made all your kicks. That was the difference in the game. And at least you feel good about your kicking game now because that really helped win in the game. Georgia Tech obviously missed two field goals, as I mentioned. Georgia Tech went 0 for 5 in the red zone, scoring points. UCF went 3 for 3 in the red zone, I believe. Well, the last possession they didn't score but because they ran out the clock, which I know didn't make people that had the UCF getting, you know, the 18-20 probably happy. But whatever. Um Look, I think at the end of the day, that's you're right. Um, the running, this is a team that's going to go as far as their running game and their defense. I think we could, you know, we could scrutinize the passing game all we want, Bryson. But the bottom line is, this is who they are. This is who they are. And the question is, is it good enough to win the American Athletic Conference championship? To be determined. I think we'll get a good idea that whenever we play SMU, whether it's next weekend or the week after, because if weather permitting, um, I mean, when you look at the game comparison here of the raw stats, I mean, in a lot, in some ways, it looks like Georgia Tech should have at least competed more than they did. I mean, Georgia, they have more than a hundred total yards than the, than overall, but and the and the passing right. really right. worked. Jeff Sims. I mean, Jeff Sims seemed to have been posing fits fits on the with his arm more than Malik Cunningham did with his with his legs. It, it was the rushing that really helped, and I think Georgia Tech also really shot themselves in the foot with penalties. I think this was a much more improved game on the disciplinary penalty front for UCF, going from just get, having three penalties for thirty yards, two of which came in the first half. Well, the reason it wasn't closer is because Georgia Tech. You mentioned the penalties. Two missed field goals. They went for it on a fourth down, didn't convert. Uh, give up the punt block for a touchdown. Uh, you know, there was an offsides that helped UCF offensively. I mean, but that's why Georgia Tech's not a good team, and that's why, like, they're probably going to have a coaching change at some point. I mean, but if you if you make your kicks, if you take away, it's a, what, a one-possession game either way. So, you know, that's disappointing because Georgia Tech's not very good. Uh, but, you know, I've always felt that football teams in a 12-game season, you're going to have games where you don't play well, and you just hope that you can get away with a win, and this was, I think, the case against Georgia Tech. But certainly, I understand some of the uh, concerns out there for sure. Let's go through some of the comments here, Bryce, because we already got comments coming in. A win is indeed better than than a loss, Amy. I I will agree with that. Amy Bachman there, always a loyal listener. Jim John, Navy has a better passing attack than us right now. Navy's been throwing the ball well. Um, sure. Actually, Army's the one that's throwing the ball really well, not Navy. Navy's struggling. I would go ahead and put a little bit of a, a asterisk on this because Plumlee had a bad game. I think you, you mentioned it, Eric. Sometimes you just have games where you don't play well. And I honestly think that this was a combination of bad things because while Plumlee did have his bad throws – the receivers did have a few drops on them. So I think that this this gets this time around, it just aligned the drops and the bad throws just aligned to where the passing game just couldn't really do anything. No, you're right. Uh, Brian Peterson even alludes to it about the drop passes. Uh, we focus a lot about the pa- you know, passing from John Rice Plumlee, but this receiving core has not really uh... – done their part i think at a high level they've had some drop passes and it's you know it's a great question brian brian peterson asking what can we do to help all their drop passes hitting wide receivers right in the hands as they keep dropping 
been on it, been an issue all season. Yeah, that, that was an issue at the Louisville game. It's been an issue. You're right. I don't know the answer to that is. That's a very good question. Um, I don't know if that's just a chemistry issue right now uh, because you're right. I don't know if it's a situation where they feel like they're pressing or what, but um, you're right. It's not pretty. And I saw a lot of disgruntlement in the social media, which was a shocker. Uh, I'm sure there were some in the stands. One tweet that I'm seeing right now from at night HSV on Twitter is tough to win a conference when you can't catch a ball. Hashtag UCF and in all caps, get it fixed. Yeah, fair. I, I, I that's a fair. I, I think you're right. I mean, uh, Jeff Wiseman make a great point. Plumlee threw a dime to Kobe Hudson in the end zone that was dropped. Now, was it because Kobe Hudson's been away and did that play? I don't know, but either way, uh, they're right. They're not, they're not catching the football very well right now. And I think we've kind of given the wide receivers a pass like, Oh, they're this great crew, but they haven't, you're right. They haven't done their part either. So it's, um, it's a good question. It's, I don't know the end yet. That's a good question. We'll ask Kyle. I'm curious what Kyle thinks they can do to improve that. I think that's something to ask Kyle when he gets joins us, but, um, I, I, I'm just as perplexed guys as you are. I, I feel you. I felt the same way watching the game. I felt the same way watching the game. I'll be honest. Yeah, I, same here. I mean, I think what's going on is, one, there is a new wide receiver coach. There is that. But I think a lot of people are very are very clouded by the perception, by the presence of Ryan O'Keefe, who is a very good receiver and playmaker, mind you, that when you look at the other receivers that this team has in Javon in Javon Baker and Kobe Hudson and Xavier Townsend, you know, you're, you kind of overlook their faults because O'Keefe dominates the receiving game as much as he has. And Johnny Richardson with the, with the role that he had this game, he seems more of kind of an Otis Anderson type player in this game. Would you say? I think he should be the Otis Anderson type of this offense. Yes. I mean, he should be get they, they you know, when the late great Otis Anderson was there, they, you, the goal was to try to get him eight to 10 touches a game at a minimum. And I think you should do the same with Richardson. Um, so I, I don't, you know, I think that's a factor there that you have to do that. Uh, good question here. We got don't, f- <laughs> don't fuck up. Uh, uh, he spells it with like Marshall Falk, by the way, for the record. Don't fuck up 23. Honest question. Does it hurt wide receivers to never get passes so they overthink it when they finally do? Uh, maybe in a, a, in a, a couple of occasions, maybe, but I don't think that's the reason why we're seeing drops solely, maybe on a, an occasion. Um, I think that's just, I don't know, man. I, it, it's, I, I'm just as baffled as you all are. I, again, I'm going to be saying that over and over again. I, you know, you mentioned the new wide receiver coach. I don't think a wide receiver coach, you can blame him when the ball is hit in the hands. Like, look, a lot of people are going to be scrutinizing the play calling and everything. At some point, we have to hold the players accountable for not executing play. Like, this is not uh, – Bryson, in my opinion, I don't believe Gus is running some complicated offense that cannot be executed. Like, they're running simple stuff here, and they're not executing it. Like, the screen passes uh, or the drops. I mean, that makes – you know, if those balls are catch, we're thinking completely different of the play calling because I know some people are concerned about the play calling. Um but, I mean, uh, Kevin, you know, I, that's just my thoughts on it. I mean, I don't, I know it's easy to go after Gus on the play calling, but I don't know. I, I, I just think he's trying to get this team to a rhythm, but they just can't. If, if you can't catch the ball, if you can't execute, I don't care what you're running uh, play calling wise. 
I'm looking at this. I remember I remember when I heard this on the on the broadcast on the broadcast. This is from um I can't say what it is on on Twitter where uh, her name's Kristen that says, "You know things are bad when the commentator says somebody's going to win this game, I swear." Yeah. That 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 really kind of pretty much summed it up. Well, but the thing is, the worst thing is, if it could be worse, you could be the Georgia Tech fan because you lost this game and you lost this game by seventeen, and they, nobody really felt like, hey, Georgia Tech could win this game. They just kept shooting themselves in the foot when you thought they could make it a game. Uh, so I don't know that that's a fascinating question there. Uh, so you know, um, we'll see. Um, I, I just think to me. The concern is, and I think somebody put it up, you posted it up there. Somebody asked about SMU in Cincinnati. I, I uh, you know, Brian Peterson, any chance we got caught looking ahead to SMU next week and assume Georgia Tech would be a gimme win? Um, you know, we brought this up on the podcast this week, right? Like, could this be the trap game? Because you were such a heavy favorite and you got the bit, although SMU is not really living up to their bargain. We're going to, we got to give Na- uh, Nash a hard time about this. SMU lost to TCU, they've lost two in a row. Um, so, but it is interesting because that game is sold out. This game wasn't. And I know there were some people wondering about the crowd. I wasn't surprised by the crowd not being as big because again, people were asking me, Hey, do you want tickets? Because they're just trying to give them away. I don't know if it was because of the start time, the fact that Georgia tech wasn't very good. Obviously Georgia tech fans. I didn't see, I didn't hear any Georgia tech fans. So I don't think they showed up. And I'm sure there were some fans that didn't go because they're doing hurricane preparations because, you know, there's a storm out there. And we have nobody knows, including weather people, that never know what the storm is going to do, even though that's their job is to know what it's going to do. But anyway, mm-hmm. um, so I don't know. It, it, I, I, I think, Brian, it, it's a fair question to ask. Um, yeah, I, I, it's, I, I don't think so. I don't think so because I think, this I think the offensive issues are not just hey we're looking past people. Kevin Suarez worried playing SMU and Cincy if we don't uh, if we can't have a consistent pass game. Uh yeah, Cincinnati especially with Luke Fickle. Um, they're 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 getting better week by week. Bryson, remember Bryson before the season? Drew, Kyle, Jeff were like ah Cincinnati. They lost everybody. Everybody made it out to be like they have a bunch of walk ons here. You know they. They're playing better. They lost a one-touchdown game at Arkansas. I agree. I'm definitely concerned about Cincinnati. SMU has kind of been disappointing on defense. But to your point, Kevin, I mean, can this offense take advantage of some of the SMU issues on defense? I don't know. Uh, Those are fair questions. Uh, I mean, I'll say this about Cincinnati is that I feel like that there can be a bit of a middle ground here because losing all the players that they did is – an impact. I think they're not going oh, to no be doubt. Like, no like they're not they're not they're not going to be like you know top four CFP no, level no, no, team no, no. that they were last year. And I but think they still might worth- be good enough to win the league. They still might be good enough to win the league. Oh yeah, no, and no one's argue and no one's arguing that. But I think that you, that we are you get a little overconfident in in that game because it they don't have the same pl- the same players and therefore it, it, it's a more winnable game than it was last year and i think that's oh well, well it's winnable too because you're at home you're at home that's the good news you're at home you're, if you were going to cincinnati i would be very concerned super panicked um but they are at home cincinnati's not been great uh necessarily uh 
on the road, but still, I mean, and SMU can put up points. And SMU will present some challenges to this defense, which got beaten on some balls by Georgia Tech receivers. And SMU, I think, has better receivers and obviously a better passing game than Georgia Tech. Uh, missed tackles. Uh, you know, Drew loves to break down missed tackles and stuff. I didn't, you know, I don't think it was uh, too significant. You're going to have missed tackles. I don't think it was anything, like, extraordinary. They're like, whoa, you're missing some obvious stuff here. Um, you know, it just is what it is uh, from that standpoint. So uh, what do you got there stats-wise, Bryce? Well, I went ahead and – if we're going to talk missed tackles, I went ahead and put up the – pulled up the defensive statistics on here. And once again, we do have a scenario where the top two tacklers are linebackers. Of course, our boy, staff boy, Drew, has the philosophy of if the second if a secondary player has the most tackles in a the game, then that's when you're having some trouble. And once again, Jason Johnson and Jeremiah Jean-Baptiste lead the way in that regard. I mean, both both of them, like eight, seven tackles, seven solos. I mean, and uh, Jean-Baptiste even got those two tackles for losses. Look, I would say pretty solid game out of them. What really worries me from this game was the performance of the secondary and also the impact because we saw both Dylan Lester and Quadric Bullard go down with injuries in this game and i'm what i and i hope that maybe in the post-game press conference they're that they are addressed if not then then a little later because i have the, i have the depth chart up on another mod on my other monitor here and dylan lester and quadric bullard are two of the four safeties that they list on that depth chart on that depth chart and so that's certainly not exactly very good so you have that depleted to, now to the team's credit kobe perry did a very good job coming in. He he ended up getting six tackles, four of his own there. So I think that he can be a very solid, um, a, a, a very solid player to take the place of Buller while if he has to be out for a while. But I, I it certainly doesn't help from a depth perspective if you're losing two if you're losing two safeties. And then of course you have Devod Wilson. And I mean I, I guess it I guess we can't really avoid the topic forever. That fumble return. I mean. Tremont Morris Brash recovered both fumbles, but you know the one I'm talking about. Just what do you what do you got on that, Eric? We have to talk about it eventually, I think. Got to hold on to the ball. Got to hold on to the ball. And I know, you know, we were discussing it on the group chat. Kyle, Blake, you know, was talking about the, the the missed block there and all that. I don't care. Hold on to the ball. Just hold on to the ball. Don't. That has to be the most pro- protect that ball as you get closer to the goal line because you know defenders can come out of anywhere and try to strip that ball. It's a great defensive play overall but you got to hold on to the ball uh and that you know but look the defense played well so at the yeah. end of the day i i'm not gonna we can nitpick some stuff and you're right the injuries that are banged up are a little bit of a concern there from a defensive standpoint but at the end of the day uh it would have been cool to see the defense special teams and the offense all score a touchdown i think that happened in 2016 when we uh, beat Tulane. i think it was yeah it was similar so um at the end of the day they're fine i i it's uh but i think again as a player you got to hold on to the ball you always you can't you got to be careful with the ball and too many players we see this every week now bryson not that uh brash did this but a lot of guys are careless with the ball they kind of like toss the ball as they get to the goal line like just treat that like your life man don't be you know just you know but hey look good defensive play by the georgia good play by the georgia tech player too by the hustle Breaking news, by the way, Colton Boomer is one of the players on the uh, post-game podium. Mm. Speaks volumes, doesn't it? No, yeah, I, th- I, th- we have a kicker now. I mean, I, 
I it's I think it's great uh, that great that the special teams really stepped it up because they certainly needed it. I mean, when you look at the let me see, let's pull this up. Here it is. So I think the biggest stat of this game and the stat that I actually think is probably going to get Jeff Collins fired if he gets fired this week is Georgia Tech going 0 and 5 in the red zone while UCF went three of four. Yeah, that was the ball game. That's the, the ball game. Yeah. And of course, this the, because of those field goals. I mean, I, I, during the first half, I was definitely a little bit worried because the offense wasn't getting scores. And it's like, if Georgia Tech didn't miss those field goals, then it'd be a tie game going into halftime. So I was a little worried about that at first. But I think in the second half, the defense was able to uh, buckle down in the second half and be able to at least keep them off the scoreboard. Now, as far as the uh, fumble goes, I'm going to disagree with you there, and, and say, and because I personally think that Devon Wilson should have noticed the guy coming. Uh, that, that's fine if he should. That's fine. But you, as when you have the ball, you can't assume that every block is going to be made. You still got to protect the ball. I, I, you know, that's my only argument with that. We could probably go back and forth about this all day. I mean, Matt, I mean, Matt J, I think, probably has a nice positive outlook on this. It is a W. Um, but can't I, but at the same time, can't remember the last time I felt this bummed after a 17 point win. You you're all right about that. I mean, fallen hero the base legend. I mean, we good news we have a kicker. The bad news is is that the offense was offensive, and you're right about that. I think that. This season is a drastic difference from previous seasons in the way that uh, in the in just in the way that the it's flipped now. This used to be a much more offensively focused team in the age of Frost and Heupel. But now under Malzahn, now maybe Malzahn's still trying to figure himself out. He's still in where he needs to get more of his guys in to just work to get the work that he wants. And the transfer portal is, a, is very limited and plumbly just kind of worked best for him. But Travis Williams, I think it really speaks to Travis Williams coaching ability that this defense has been, that this defense has been able to succeed as much, as much as it has. Um, and, and also credit to special teams coordinator, Brian Blackman for making the, making the move to put Colton Boomer at the, at the kicking spot. Um, what do you think about this, Eric? Do you think Colton Boomer is the next Matthew Wright, or do you think we're speaking prematurely here? Well, it's a little premature. Let's get him a handful of games here. But look, hey, I understand why the excitement, right? I mean, he was solid today, and that was a big part of the win. So I understand the excitement, but let's wait, you know, a few more games before he <laughs> compare him to a guy who's one of the best kickers in the history of the of the program, and it, you know has had a has had more than a cup of coffee in the NFL. Do you think that? Do, do you do you think that more of, of I guess in the sense of the as far as the special teams goes, do you think it was a good? How do you think the punting went? Because it, well, Mitch McCarthy once again took there took there again. What what do you think? Better about than Georgia Tech, who had theirs blocked for the fourth time this year, um, which we discussed on the podcast. How issues that Georgia Tech's had on punting and special teams cost them a touchdown. So that's how I look at it. Is they were fine. And obviously that change has happened for a reason. So, um, so we'll see. Um, we'll see. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I like it. We'll see how the it goes. 
Yeah, Matt J writing in. Hate to say it, I'm not anti-JRP, but I was pleading for a quarterback change for at least one series in this game, either MK or TC. Uh, I think I think Gus has pretty much told is pretty much shown you that he's gonna ride with JRP, right? Like I haven't seen anything that would suggest otherwise. Um I I don't I never felt that was going to happen, especially with Castellanos. I never felt that was gonna happen. Yeah, there I've I've been looking through social media and I've been seeing some calls of whether of I saw one tweet that said we should burn the red shirt on my on Thomas Castellanos and the other and a couple of others that are saying I saw a hashtag free Mikey Keen. I thought that was a nice kind of kind of funny. And then this 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 one I'm reading right now says we want Mikey, we want Mikey. I mean, Plum I I think that this is probably going to just happen whenever Plumlee has a bad game. I mean, let again, let's not discount the fact that I think he did solid on on the ground. He still broke out for that long for that long touchdown run. He got a hundred yards rushing. I mean, George. I I also I, I one humorous thought that I had during this game was, you know, Georgia Tech used to run a triple option offense. Maybe that's the one that we should be running right now. We certainly. Oh, that don't really go over well with the fan base. I'll tell you that going there uh we've also like i know I, look the backup quarterback's always very popular so i get it i also remember doing night shifts last year people complaining about mikey Keene and the offense with the lack of passing game it wasn't like we were airing it out at uh in an incredible level last year either it was a lot of short passes too so um but look i i, I valid point they gotta get better play out of the quarterback position it's really more about consistency bryson this team is just not consistent right now, right? Played well last week against FAU. Played well, I guess, against South Carolina State to some extent, although I don't think they were great in that game. And then struggled in the second half in particular against Louisville. They're not a consistent team right now. Um, they have flaws. The good news is, so does everybody else in the American. The only the the only thing I re, I, re, I read this tweet from uh, Stat Boy Drew during the tournament. The only consistent thing about UCF this season is that they are inconsistent. And I think there is a lot of truth to a lot of truth to that. I mean, the good news is, is that the defense is kind of is the really the the source of the only source of consistency that I've seen so far is in the defense. Brian Peterson has this interesting question. The defense keeps playing at this level. What are the chances T-Will gets lured away in the offseason? Um, I think this is speaking a little premature. I think I'd like to see. Uh, I, I think this is more of an end, end of the season question, but. I think it is a valid one at some point in at some point in time. Travis Williams has certainly proven himself, and I think it really depends on what on what is offered. I mean, he's pretty loyal to Gus. They've been work, um, they've been they've worked been work they've worked together for ele- non continuously for eleven years. So I don't know. What do you think, Eric? Yeah, I mean, Travis will have I'm sure phone calls and stuff. It's hard to predict, right? Because you don't know who's going to make that phone call. What is he thinking? What does he want to do? Uh, let's just hope we just – my thing is let's enjoy him as long as he's here. I don't worry about, hey, could he be gone after this year? Is he gone after next? Whatever. Uh, I don't know. Only he knows. Um, you know, so to me, I don't think that's something that I'm going to too stress about right now, um, you know, considering that situation. Now, Fallen Hero, the base legend. Hey, at least we won unlike Florida, USF, and Miami. That's true. I think, we, I think we can take it take solace in the fact that sure we may have won a little bit of it in a little bit of an ugly fashion, 
but every but it's still a, a pretty great day of college football when we see everyone else in the state everyone else in the state lose or pretty much everyone else in the state lose especially with Miami who has once again proven that they are the best team in June, July and August and then it's they just Hope that hope, hope Van Dyke gets benched, Mister NIL. There down there, uh, tough there. Florida almost stole that game from Heupel. They they recovered the onside kick. They made they were down thirty eight twenty one. Got within thirty eight thirty three. Recovered an recovered an onside kick, but uh, Florida threw an, an interception at the end. Otherwise, Florida might have stolen that from good old our old buddy Josh Heupel there. Uh, so yeah, but yeah, Florida. I mean, Florida I think is in transition. Miami though, that's a. Middle, what was it? Middle Tennessee they lost to? That's that's not good. And then South Florida did what I expected them to do is get trounced by Louisville. Um, you know, I think the Florida-USF game was a mirage. Uh, I think it said more about Florida than it did about USF. Oh, yeah, I, I I would agree with that. Um, Kevin we got a guest. Let's bring in a guest. We got, a, we got our boy in here. Let's bring him in. All right. Let's – all right, let's look. I'm trying – oh, there he is. Uh, there oh, he is. He- there he is. He's in. He's in another location today. Here, no, I think that, I know that. <laughs> no, he's he's just closer to his previous location. Than That's that. what it is. Kyle Nash joining us here from the stadium after the UCF win uh, over Georgia Tech. Uh, Kyle, just give me your thoughts so far before we get uh, some of the fans' questions to you. First of all, let me be clear, gentlemen. This is a different location. I'm trying to change it up a little bit. This is just a different perspective of Nitro that you get i would assume this is another aaron evans offering but yeah just to be clear i'm trying to move around a little bit and mix it up and my other spot is just in a place where there's a lot of fans waiting for the players to come out the locker room and get that props give them their props for an acc win at home something gus said he was super happy to deliver for the crowd tonight Kyle, obviously, uh, by the way, people are asking about you. Are you doing a stadium tour coming soon? Like, is this uh, this part of a tour all year? <laughs> um, I mean, that could be one thing. I, I will I'm also take that. I'll take requests on which tie I should wear as well. Uh- <laughs> all right, you heard them, folks. Get, get your questions there. Uh, all right, uh, Kyle, a lot of questions about Georgia Tech uh, <laughs> as far as their, I mean, the UCF offense, the passing. Right, game. right. Where, where, where do we go from here? Are you concerned? Are, is this fixable? Can it get better? What do, what do you make of it? Because there's a lot of concerns. A lot of people bring it up drop passes. It's not just, yes. hey, Plumlee is the issue. You brought this up early during the game on Twitter. It's drop passes. That's been a pattern for this receiving core. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly no perfection at the beginning of the game. And towards the end of the game, a short touchdown, too, in the hands. I think it was uh, Kamari Gamble, actually, as well. That happened there, too. Um, yeah, listen, I, I hate to use this term because it often feels like a cop-out that I don't want to analyze how bad something went, air quotes, but I think from a passing game standpoint, this is a burn-the-tape game. Um, somebody asked him in the media corps um, for the press conference post-game, and in a word, when he was when John Rice Pony was asked, how do, you, how do you think your passing game went today? He said in just basically a word, bad. I got to clean up the little things and get the little things right. So he's aware that this, uh, this evening didn't go right, but there's also something to be said for how particular uh, Georgia Tech's method of attack is. Uh, Coach Malzahn pointed out that they are a capable defense when it comes to getting tackles for loss. The thing is that they're not as capable in other places to make a lot of mental errors. And I think that's kind of what UCF took advantage of tonight. So, you know, obviously the passing game uh, tonight was not a strong one. You know, you, you, don't need, you don't need a degree in rocket science to figure that out. 
Um, and I don't think uh, any member of the squad would argue that. Eric, you mean it. Kyle, I do want to ask, because I heard, I heard from Eric that uh, Colton Bloomer took yes. the yeah. podium after the game. I wanted to a ask you, what and what did he have to say? Because I saw on the UCF football Twitter account that I believe he tied some kind of school record. Um, I can't account for the for the record yet. What was it? Did you see what it was, Bryson? Yeah, UCF football tweeted on his uh, on his last field goal a perfect four for four from field goals for Colton Boomer matches the school record. Oh, okay, yeah, no, I could tell you, I, I didn't know four for four was a record, but yeah, I mean, listen, the the lift special teams provided tonight was special, and, and frankly, Colton Boomer, uh, you know, true freshman, all of that came in as if he was just as shocked as Mikey King last year coming in. Now, granted, obviously a different position, but still somebody who's getting all eyes on him as an individual in a team affair, right? And, and, and to kind of piece together what he's saying, you know, he mentioned a lot about his faith being a big part of his game. I think he also has a lot of faith in himself when he steps to it. He doesn't think about it. He just kicks. All right, so Sons of UCF chimes in. Elo, if I told you 10 years ago that Georgia Tech would have been playing us at home and we didn't really care – one by 17 and everyone was upset about it what would you say i would have said <laughs> what happened to georgia tech yep. uh i think that speaks volumes about where georgia tech is as a program right now kyle and i what well, i'm curious in the press box what because i know there was georgia tech media there what's the sense there about jeff collins's future and maybe like is he does he make it another week they go to they go to Pitt, then they have a bye week i have a feeling we might see something here within the next couple of weeks here Right. If if he makes it to the pit game, it's because they're trying to use that bye week to handle the transition. And I can respect that from an organizational standpoint. But I mean, heck, you don't need buzz from the press conference or from the press box there, Eric. They were talking about maybe Jeff Collins doesn't even make it to coach this game tonight. And listen, we, we, we when there are regular tweets, including by yours truly, um, on the SOTG account that that ask if a particular play call is is the one that got him fired. That should tell you everything you need to know, Elo. Oh, well, there you go. I would oh. say that if there's anything, like, did they ask about the success in the red zone? Because I said earlier, if there was anything that was going to get the Collins fired, it was going to be going 0 for 5 in the red zone. Um, yeah, UCF no. And, pretty well, and at UCF getting points in the red zone. I think they were, I think they were 3 for 3 up until the end when they ran out the clock. Georgia Tech right. was 0 for 5 in the red zone. That was part of the game, Kyle. Georgia Tech didn't score points in the red zone. UCF did. UCF got the punt block. Georgia Tech did. We talked about it in that in the in the podcast about Georgia Tech's issues of protecting the punt. The punt. This is the fourth time this year Georgia Tech's had a punt block, and Georgia Tech missed two field goals. UCF literally won this game with special teams. So let's be fair. We've been very critical of the special teams. You brought it up earlier. The special teams and the red zone won this game for UCF. Yeah, Coach Malzahn would agree with you. I asked him if he thought that the special teams was a bright spot. And, of course, being uh, answering, answering it in a stately manner as a coach should, he said that the special teams were big, but just as big, obviously, was the defense. But he had mentioned in the past, and he said it here as part of a statement, that he was looking for special teams to be in a position to help them win games, and they did precisely that. I don't think there's any denial, whether it's the touchdown, whether it's Colton Boomer at one point in the game accounting – for more than a half of UCF's points, however you want to put it, guys. Special teams was huge in tonight's outing. I don't think there's any denying. 
Kyle, we had a question earlier. Are, are we? Are we? We, we uh, talked earlier about the success of the run game, and you mentioned, uh, and we talked about the O line a little bit. I wanted to get your perspective on that because you're you're kind of our de facto O line expert. Expert. So I wanted to ask, what did what did you think about the about the play of the O line today? O line today, because the rushing the rushing attack seemed to be the only thing on the offense that seemed to be, I guess, working in some form of you know good. Yeah, I mean, over and above the, the passing game, having a pretty cold night anyway. I really think, and if you if you check the uh, the roundtable, the article we released on blackandgoldbanneret.com, uh, leading into all of our games, you'll notice I expected Coach Malzahn to come out with a strategy to attack with the run. Two reasons for that. A, to get a game over with quicker, to get one that's perceived as, air quotes, easier out of the way, and to preserve the health of other guys on the outside, right? O'Keefe has already got a hamstring injury. We want, uh, you know, if you're a coach, you're, you're going to want to try to minimize his opportunity to get injured, although he was on the field quite a bit. And then, uh, you know, Kobe Hudson seeing time. I think working him into the offense finally has a catch on the stat sheet. I think that was a huge part of it. But make no mistake, I think you you seeing three running backs in the backfield, right? R.G. Harvey, um, Johnny Richardson, and of course Isaiah Bowser. Uh, all rotating out. Uh, that's exactly what you were going to see. And, and whether you think it's part of why the passing game struggled, that's a whole other question. Now, as far as the O-line's performance, listen, let's be honest. There'll be a, there are moments out there where they did dominate. You, if you come out on fourth and two with the wild Bowser, the point of that play is to impose your will upon that other team. And listen, the Sons of UCF quote about this time 10 years ago, would I say to you the offensive line would impose their will? <laughs> That's adorable. <laughs> but as much as we criticize them, they had moments where they dominated tonight. But again, I think there's issues on the outside still. You know, I don't necessarily want to name names at this point in time, but the tackles I, I think have too many times where they're either caught lunging or they let a, 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 a rusher cross their face. They think outside, and then they move inside, and then they have a direct shot at Jen Rice Plumley. Now, to Plumley's credit, he's great at escaping and turns a lot of something into nothing sometimes, but the times that he gets got, gets got it's usually based on something like that. Were injuries discussed after the game questions? I know Quadric Bullard, I know it's obviously of concern. People are wondering about, uh, uh, was, com was there any comments about the injuries afterwards? Um, you know, it was a, it was a wait and see, not sure on status yet. Um, but, you know, obviously quad being such a big part of the team and such a physical player, him getting necked up, you know, I, I don't want to be a true pessimist and, and say that it's not a surprise, but like, this is the kind of thing that happens. You know, it, it is football. Like you like to say last week, last we saw, uh, Eric, it is in fact a full contact sport, a collision sport. If you will, these things will happen. That is correct. That will de happen. Matt Dolan with a question for you. Who should be RB one? Bowser or Harvey? Harvey, people like what they saw from Harvey today. <laughs> you know, and I'm not here to say that R.G. Harvey is a bad uh, a bad prospect of a running back either. But I think that the thing a lot of people miss about Bowser is his versatility. On two plays, you saw Bowser do three things that were huge, okay? And I forget what point of the game it was precisely, but it was uh, the play regarding John Rice Plumley's fumble, right? He, uh, Bowser, plows the middle opens up the hole through the middle of the line let me be clear where the biggest bodies of the defense are he blasts through as a lead blocker and creates a hole for john rice Plumley. then Plumley, 10 yards ahead of him somehow mishandles the ball hey it's a fumble things happen but somehow from behind the play bowser comes in 
to recover the fumble. Then the next step, after all that, catches the 22-yard pass for the first down to continue to move the chains. I don't understand this necessity in the minds of fans to move Bowser. They don't understand the versatility that he brings. Harvey's a fantastic athlete. And I do agree with what you're saying, but I also am glad to see Harvey get touches because, you know, of course, all camp, I kept hearing about how we are so loaded at running back. And yet, like we're seeing Bowser get all these carries against South Carolina State and, and things like that. I like the fact that we're trying to keep the backs fresh and try to wear teams down. If you're going to be, I think you would agree at this point, Kyle, right? We, we know this. This is a football team that's a run-first team. This is not – I mean, sure. we're going to be – people are just – you're going to have to accept that. This is not a team that's going to air it out like Blake Bortles or Mackenzie Milton. That's not going to be this team's personality. They're going to run the ball. They ran it 56 times today. If you're going to do that, I like the fact you bring in some fresh legs because that's a way to wear down the opposing defense, is it not? 100%. And to, to your point, that was, I think, going to be essential. Like I mentioned – that I mentioned – in the round table, you were going to see multiple running backs in this game and getting time. I'm not saying they shouldn't. The question being specific to RB1, it's got to be Bowser because he can do more. Well, Matt Dolan says you convinced him. See? See, look at that, Kyle. You you see? That's why Kyle's here. He is not just – he is the student of the professor uh, a student of the game. He's a, he is the student <laughs> of the game. He's, there you go. he's one of those types. I feel like I take a demotion at that point. <laughs> So I want to I want to posit this question to you because I asked Eric about this earlier. Um, because out of the all of the receivers in this game, most of them went to either Ryan O'Keefe, which is understandable, but also Johnny mm-hmm. Richardson. So do you think that Johnny Richardson is kind of moving into more of an Otis Anderson esque role, and do you think that that's where his deep his abilities are best utilized? Well, heck, Bryson, I feel like we said that sort of thing already earlier in the season or in the preseason on the Black and Gold Banneret podcast, that that was, that was his best use, right, as a versatile player. And, and, and honestly, there were moments in the FAU game where Bowser and Richardson were both on the field. Um, and, you know, movement and deception that you could use from that point were very big parts of it. So, yeah, no, I'm with you. I think, I think even in a situation where Plumlee might come out with Richardson, whether it's single back or you have more than one back, a situation where he signals Richardson to then move out into the slot like you you would see Otis do, or there's other examples of, of you know, guys in the pros that do that sort of thing, right? Alvin Kamara types, um, Latavius Murray's, you know, that kind of thing that, that might do that sort of thing to give the uh, hint of what the defense is going to do. So, yeah, I think that's a great use for Richardson. Would you did they, and did they bring up on the postgame show about penalties because that was one improvement I also saw from this team. I mean, Georgia Tech certainly didn't help them going eight for eight penalties for 61 yards, but UCF managed to keep their penalties down doing just three for 30. Was that brought up? No, of course not. There was nothing wrong, so there was nothing to panic about, right? <laughs> you know how bad stuff, yeah. <laughs> yeah, don't you know how we media folks work? We only focus on the negative, Bryson. <laughs> Excuse me for being optimistic, uh, Kyle. Unacceptable. Let me let me ask you this, uh, Kyle. Uh, people, yeah. uh, one thing about the receiver. Some people are wondering: Do you think the fact that you know, for example, today only sixteen passes, does that contribute to the drops? Because you're not in a volume, you're not getting volume of catches. What? How do you address the the drops if you're UCF? How does is there a way to resolve that? Because some people have asked about: Is it the fact they're not throwing enough? Some guys don't have enough targets. Does that play into the drops? What's your thoughts on the drop issue there? 
Um, you know, no, that's that's a tough question. I, I, I don't know as much about, I mean, volume is something to be said, but in practices, they have entire portions of the of, of it devoted to Pascal and those opportunities to get their hands on it. Uh, the, I'm, uh, how, how well guys can catch or not is, is a question that, frankly, I'm not in the practices enough to evaluate what they should do to do that. I mean, but if game time is when you're looking to get reps, that's not exactly the best strategy practice-wise, right? Uh, now, what I'll say this, I'll say this much, though, is when you come out, now the stats will say two for two, but one of them was on an offsides penalty, so that won't make the stat sheet because they ended up accepting the penalty. John Rice Plumley should have opened the game three for three and possibly three for three with a touchdown, but three awful drops. Those catches alone, I think, would have put him near or at 100 yards considering that he had 49 in the total here. Now, I'm not here to say that Plumley was perfect, but I, I'm right with, uh, you know, some of the comments I've seen out there to, to kind of back off on criticizing Plumley. He's not the, the only or main problem, I would argue, uh, in this particular equation. Yeah, I would agree uh, with that. Uh, UCF alum, Kyle, this is right up your alley. I love this. Rick, uh, thoughts on this. Recruiting for O-line and D-line is a must. Right now, we are a, quote, mediocre ACC team. Your beloved ACC, Kyle, which you are so fondly about. <laughs> hey, listen, you've heard me make the statement, and I've, I, I'm, I believe so much in it. I think I'm going to be able to reconstruct it here, right? We've talked about Gus Malzahn recruiting like his hair is on fire, which he's obviously done. No one's taking that away. But he better get some beef to put on the grill or else he's going to get burned by opponents in the Big 12. This, this observation is spot on about the lack of O-line presence comparatively depth-wise, right? I mean, we're in a situation where regardless of how you feel about the O-line's performance tonight, they had to kick Sam Jackson inside to put him in after being a tackle for most of his career at UCF, but, right? But isn't, that, isn't that where once you're now that you're going into the Big 12, isn't that where you hope that – that will help you get the linemen because I always felt like, and uh, you know, Jerry O'Neill used to be the sideline reporter at UCF Sports Talk Show, always told me this, and, and Mark Daniels has told me this too, and he said this on his radio show. With the difference between UCFs and like maybe quote unquote G5s and the Power Fives are not skill position. Every, they can get skill positions, Alan. It's the beef inside, right? And that's where, like, the SEC in particular, the Alabamas, the Georgias, get the highly touted line. And now you see, going to the Big 12, you hope that helps them get better line guys that maybe they couldn't because of the destination, because of the league they play. Uh, but I don't disagree with the question. I think that is the next step for UCF is, and you nailed it, they have to improve mm -hmm. in the line on both sides to be at the next level. And, hey, you make the ACC joke, listen um, – Uyung, Uyunga, Uyunga there we go. Uh, his life behind that offensive line has been difficult. Thank you. Thank you. Because since Trevor Lawrence, they haven't had the beef to protect that cat. And you see what's happened to Clemson as a program. They're struggling with Wake. So that should tell you everything we need. you need to know. Now, if somebody said to you 10 years ago, hey, you're about to become a mid-level ACC team, you'd be excited. <laughs> uh, ACC teams just aren't what they used to be, Miami. Um, All right, uh, Kupu, let, me, let's, let me go to Kupu Bear, Beer before we go to some Gus comments. Uh, he goes, I love the I love the name Kupu Bear. Welcome to Night Chef. Thank you. Kupu Bear, I love, yes. I love the direction Gus has his on, but I feel like there's play calling is a bit dated. Why won't Gus pass more? Kyle? 
Um, it wasn't in the game plan tonight. It's that simple. And and I, I if you if you're looking at this game in in a vacuum, yeah, uh, that's a fair criticism. You're, they were looking to run the ball. Um, there's some old school smash mouth action and feel to it. But I think it feels that way because how many teams nowadays run the ball 56 times? Gentlemen, let me be clear. And, and Jeff Sharon, he and I spoke a little bit at halftime between PA announcements and all that. He, he actually said it first, and I would totally agree that there's some aspect of not revealing everything for SMU at this point. Gentlemen, I can make the strong argument, and you guys might call me biased because SMU is my pick to win the conference. SMU is going to be the biggest home game, yes, bigger than uh, Cincinnati, as far as possibility to make the conference championship in in UCF's way at this point. So if you're if you have all that in mind, and that's going to be that big a game for your future in winning the conference, certainly you're not trying to show all of the playbook in this game for Georgia Tech. Well, I would say that uh, SMU's got their own problems. They lost to TCU. 42 to 34 in the Sonny Dykes game. They got some issues defensively. They got to figure out. Uh, uh-huh. So, but it sounds like, are you say, you know, are we over? Some people suggest, are we overlooking Georgia Tech? That we kind of treat them like, eh, well, we don't want, you know, that's an interesting indictment, I think, of Georgia Tech if we're suggesting that we're holding things back because we feel confident we could beat a Georgia Tech team with a vanilla offense, basically. Well, I mean, look what happened, Eric, right? How many points were taken off the board by turnovers, right? You have Traymond Morris Brash who gets left hanging out to dry by Devon Wilson. That should have been seven. You had yeah, a you had a you ball. had a turnover where uh, a receiver was going to make basically score a touchdown or put him in the red zone. John Rice lets it sail for his interception. There's a fumble somewhere in there that I'm not accounting for. There there are there are sort of all sorts of situations where things did not go UCF's way and they still won in dominating fashion. I know they didn't cover, so I know that Drew's going to start you know, raising the horns of panic on next week's Black and Gold Banneret podcast. But at the end of the day, if you shoot yourself in the foot this much and you still win by, what, three scores? Yeah, three scores. It's not a horrible day. Well, let's go ahead and see what our, what our head ball coach has to say about that, Curtis. Th- thanks to our friend of the show from Sons of UCF, Trace Troco, who captured this clip. This is Gus Malzahn's opening statement from after the game. I really appreciate uh, the crowd. Uh, looking at the game, uh, there were some things that stood out. Uh, you know, we started out with a point play drive. Uh, I think it took almost 10 minutes. We only got three points uh, with that. That's really the first time I've, you know, I've seen that. Probably the big key uh, play of the game was the block punt right before halftime. That gave us some, some momentum. Going to halftime, our defense got off the field since we came back out. We were able to stash and run better uh, once the second half got going. Uh, you know, that was really good. I think we had 285 yards rushing. That, that they, they're one of the best teams in college football, the, the TFLs, playing behind the line of scrimmage. They did a really good job with that. Uh, our defense did a good job. We did give up some yards, but once we got in the red zone, I mean, they came up, uh, we came up big time and time again. You know, we almost had seven points. You know, that was really close to the ball went out the back of the end. Think about that play, even though we didn't get points, we flipped the field. And I thought that was really big uh, with that. Then Boomer, I mean, he had four field goals. I mean, you know, he's off to a superstar. I think two of them were 40 plus yards. And they were during prime time. I mean, they were during pressure situations. So our team is growing. Uh, I thought it was a quality win. Uh, there's a lot of things we can correct, which is good, you know, moving forward. But quality wins, very proud 
I think that that is a what Gus had to say there. I mean, that our team is growing and that it's a quality win. I mean, I've been seeing that a lot with the comments I've been seeing. You might, some people are saying that it's not a quality, it wouldn't be a quality win. <laughs> but I think the argument could certainly be made. And I think Gus really presented it I think, <clears throat> the way, wouldn't you say? Sure. So from a football standpoint, the argument could be made that it wasn't a quality win. From a politics in, in the changing of the guard and things in the ACC for a team that's about to jump, that's still a G5 team right now, beating a P5 team on the way into the P5, that's a statement that could be made that sounds positive. Now, how legit that is or isn't, well, let's put it this way. It's not like coach is going to come out and says, well, this is a complete waste of time. We still won by 17 questions. That's not going to happen, Bryce. So with that in mind, you know, I, I think it's a big win from the standpoint, again, of giving the crowd the ACC win that they couldn't deliver two weeks ago with Louisville and getting something on the resume heading into the Power Five that they competed and dominated a Power Five team, even even struggling a bit. What, what's, the, what's the platitude that goes for this? Good teams win these kind of games when the trips are down, right? Well, that's what they did. By the way, did you see how he was glowing about Boomer? What was the last time oh, we talked sure. that much about the kicking? I mean, Boomer made the uh, the the media rounds, right? Like after the yeah. game, what did he? I mean, that that's one. Uh, I don't remember the last time we we could say that. Um, I think I think uh, Matt Wright is the last kicker I remember talking to at the podium, um, and that was when he was a fifth year senior, I think. So with all that in mind, like yeah, it, it was funny. Uh, 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 Brandon Helwig, who sits uh, next to me, generally speaking, in the presser, said, welcome to the press conference, Colton. So that should tell you everything you need to know about that. Um, yeah, no, super likable kid, by the way. Um, kid, I shouldn't say that. He's 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 a freshman. He looks young to me, but super, super likable guy. Very humble guy. Uh, as much as we were trying to give him credit asking questions, he was having none of it um, and, and just, you know, basically spoke to, to about his faith in, in uh, being a part of his game and how um, he loves his teammates and, and to be able to be there for them when they need that extra boost. So, uh, well, speaking of Boomer, and, and let's go ahead and play, and play the, the press conference clip from him. Here, here's what Colton Boomer had to say on the press conference podium. You think okay, you Boomer. Asked how far you think you can make one from? I don't know. <laughs> Until I go back there and hit, we'll just see throughout the season. Keep moving back, but just trying to gain the trust to uh, put my on. That's about it. You think you've done that? I hope so. <laughs> I Asked how far you think you can make. I I I do you know I think. I, I do agree with what I feel like Trace was implying a little bit there is that I think I feel much more confident about Colton Boomer kicking from a distance than I would say than I would in previous in previous in more recent previous kickers when you just say, say his name Bryson we all know who you're talking about <laughs> I don't want to pile on okay I don't want to do that I don't, I don't look I, I just, answer the question Kyle no, sure. And, and I think the reason he answers the question the way he does is to do the same thing you just did. Avoid piling on Obarski. So I think with that in mind, yeah, that's definitely what it was. And, and you see the humility there. Like in his mind, you know, hey, I hit some 30 yarders. I hit some chip shots. I had a chance to look good hitting chip shots. The offense, as much as their air quotes maligned in their performance tonight, which let's be honest, there was plenty of ugly, you know, um, he was still given a good opportunity in field position to get the job done. 
and he's acknowledging that. One of the things he said to me, the next question after the one uh, that you played there, you know, when I asked him about how he felt about being there and how he was embraced on the sidelines after hitting four for four, he 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 loved. He, he smiled big and talked about how much he loved his teammates. So you know, this is a team guy, gentlemen. A couple last things <clears> before we let you go. Obviously, this was a Hall of Fame weekend with a UCF honored uh had their hall of fame class of 2022 they uh friday night they had the ceremony where they honored latavius murray joe burnett uh for football obviously mckenzie Otis, the great softball pitcher uh linda gooch for cheerleading and christina sarf for Roy. me and bryce will have a few more thoughts on the class in a little while uh now further before i ask you about the class because they were honored at the end of the first quarter in this football game but i want to bring up latavius murray was not there latavius murray Wild story. And you, Kyle, spoke along with Bryson, with Latavius Murray. He's with the New Orleans Saints. He signed with them. So he got permission to come to the ceremony, which he wanted to come. In fact, he even said in the ceremony he probably would have come either way. But he flew in Friday to Orlando to make the event, which, you know, I, I was worried about. You guys have known that I've been talking about this for a while. I'm like, man, what's going to happen if Tay signs with the NFL? Because I felt he was going to sign with somebody. But yeah. to his credit, he showed up, got there, got there a little late because, you know, when you're flying, you know, things happen. Got there, was inducted into the Hall of Fame. He then got a flight back to New Orleans after the ceremony, got one of the last flights in out of Orlando to go to New Orleans because, as you know, Kyle, they're flying to Carolina on Saturday when he's with them. So props to Latavius for pulling that off, first of all. So, uh, But as, as a result, I just want to bring that up because some might be wondering that went to the game. Wait, Latavius wasn't there. That's why he was not on the field uh, honored on Saturday. It's, but you did have the other four Hall of Famers honored. Tell me about that. What was it like to see that in person there at the end of that first quarter? No, what a great moment historically, right? Like the, this is the kind of stuff. These are names that you hear. And now getting it confirmation of the reason why you hear the names as often as you do you know, it, it is something that's special for the fans and, you know, anybody else who's like for me covering uh, UCF for five years as I have. And, and, you know, seeing these names be honored, like, you know, I know guys that play with these guys, uh, you know, just the other night on the student of the game podcast, uh, our own Drew Glucope was with me. We were talking to Travis Holmes who played with Joe Burnett and, you know, just, just how big a deal it was to these guys. Sure. You know, uh, in, in specifically, Bryce and I talked to Latavius, like maybe he wasn't part of the 2013 game that everyone talks about with Blake Bortles in the Fiesta Bowl. Maybe he wasn't at the Peach Bowl game that everybody talks about with Mackenzie Milton um, in 2017. But he's part of that foundation and has a big moment in that Georgia game, uh, the Liberty Bowl, um, that not only does he regard that as a high point in his UCF career, but it's a high point for the program and a rung in the ladder as part of the climb to get here. And all of these people who are honored tonight have that kind of contribution to the organization. Well, well said. Uh, well said we, on that. We can now say, and of course, we can now say that UCF historically has beaten both Alabama and Georgia. So <laughs> nice, little, nice little feather in the cap there. Though well, being I mean, said, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yep. look, by the way, Navy ahead of East Carolina in the fourth quarter. All you Holton Ayler fans, Jeff Sharon and company, how do you like Holton Ayler's now? Um, <laughs> you're, you're yeah. so me, Jeff. <laughs> Matt Dolan, by the way, writes about Elo mentioned leaving the game early this week. How early did he leave? I actually didn't go because I'm doing hurricane preparation, people. 
that's what we're doing. Like a few other people are doing. Now, Bryson, at this hour, and we're talking on a Saturday night, we don't know what's going to happen with this storm because, you know, the people that are supposed to know don't know. Weather people, they never know. But somehow we they're the only people in the profession that can get away with not knowing what about their, you know, to predict anything correctly and still have a job. So <laughs> I'm curious, Kyle, was there any discussion about the SMU game next week? Because that's, you know, up in the air, depending on what happens with this storm and what direction it takes. I mean, frankly, no, we didn't have, we weren't given an opportunity to really ask us that question yet. I think those answers are coming Monday or either uh, possibly tomorrow in the availability at seven o'clock with, uh, with uh, T will. Uh, but at this point, listen, you've seen it on the news just as much as I have. The, the constant change and slowing of the speed of this storm. At one point, it was looking like Wednesday. Now it's looking like Thursday. We're, we're not really sure with what's going on with the storm. Right. Is it going to the panhandle? Is it going to hit right. the west coast of Florida? How close to Orlando? All of that will impact the decision on this MSMU game. And it's a tricky decision because, you know, these teams have to make a decision by a certain point in the week. They got to fly in and all that. It is worth pointing out that the SMU and UCF both have a bye week, October 8th, the following Saturday. UCF plays Temple on a Thursday night the following week. SMU plays on a Friday night, I believe, that week. I could easily see them, if it has to, if they have to, push this game back a week. I think that's the easy solution they could push it back a week, and then maybe UCF Temple gets pushed from a Thursday to a Saturday. I, I, I would not, you know, if the again, and I, I don't. I'm glad I'm not in the uh, the brasses that have to make this decision as far as what to do with the game or not. Um, hopefully, there's we have an idea of what's going to happen in the next couple of days. Hopefully, this thing misses everybody, and yeah. it, we we stay on on schedule. So, but that's that is obviously on the horizon here in the next few days. Uh, from that standpoint, and we'll just see how this plays out. But I do think that is an option for them, is the UCF-SMU game could get moved a week extra if they feel like, oh, we just can't chance it. I yeah. I think it'll be interesting to see how this will affect SMU, because I think, if anything, I think the biggest effect that this could have on the SMU game is going to be the, on the travel schedule, because I don't know when SMU would, would supposedly fly in. Right. Flying no. from right. That's the part that people forget. People forget about the, the aspect of how do you get it? How do you fly in, you know, in the routes, you know, when there's a hurricane and you brought it up, Kyle, if this thing gets drags out, even if it doesn't hit central Florida, even if it, what if the storm on Thursday or Friday is still hanging around in the Gulf of, you know, by the state near the coastal lines, you don't know who knows. It's a lot of unknowns. And, um, I, it's going to be interesting what the, the, everybody, all parties involved decide to do here in the next few days. Yeah, and based on what I've seen, I'm no meteorologist, but hey, let's put it this way. I'm better on predictions for these games than a lot of the staff. So what I'll predict here is that, you know, if if it gets pushed back any more than Thursday, you feel like they have to cancel, right? You know. Right, I, I think so. But hopefully not. Hopefully it stays on schedule because the game is sold out. So obviously it's funny. Some people are like surprised at the attendance, Georgia. I think a lot of more people are at work. To your point, Kyle, you made earlier, are excited about this SMU game more than the Georgia Tech game. And that's a credit yeah. to the fan base's intelligence and the fact that they don't get sucked in by a brand name. They realize like your beloved ACC, right? We don't want to talk about Eric's uh, Eric Seminoles, do we? Wow, wow! <laughs> You're the guy that's covering their bowl games, okay? At the cheese. <laughs> 
I mean, uh, you're, you're, you're going to miss a UCF basketball game because of the dead ACC team playing in a bowl game. Or am I going to give another member of the staff an opportunity to see them? I don't think you're passing up on Jesus. I no, mean, no, no. I said I'm giving Bryson the chance to cover a basketball Oh, game. what a spin. What a spin. Giving uh, Bryson. Talent, baby. Look, I'll I'll say this. Um, The uh, the fact that we are trash in DC, I will, like, just give a teeny counterpoint that Clemson and Wake Forest had a pretty darn good game. That was a fun game. That was a good game. Sam Hartman played well for Wake. Clemson found a way to win uh, (laughs) 51-45. Good Lord. Um, I can hear the resentment. Florida State, as we're talking, is up 21-0 and driving against Boston College. They might be 4-0. Could be right. Who knows? Uh, but anyway, Miami lost to Middle Tennessee. That's the team that should be getting made fun of. They got smoked by Middle Tennessee, baby. Hey, I tried to tell people they weren't back. I'm just saying. Well, Something about they, teams in Orange not being back between them and Texas. Miami could be could be in Orlando for the Cheez It Bowl. No, um, they're not going to be good enough. You already know my prediction when it comes to Miami. I forgot about that. Being a prediction, Kyle, um, you said I believe you said that Houston was going to be in the AAC championship with SMU, right? That was what you your prediction was. Yeah, yeah. Boy, it's making me look stupid now, aren't they? Yeah, right. Rice has currently just had a field goal. They are now beating Houston 27-24 with 11-44 remaining. Well, but that, look, the American has been down this year, and that's why like, we can nitpick all the flaws that UCF has, but everybody's got flaws in this league. This league is winnable for UCF. It's not like that's the good news is for UCF is as much as we focus on the flaws of UCF, I think the other teams in the American have bigger flaws than what UCF has. So I think if you're UCF, you're still in great position to accomplish your goals when this league is still on the table and get to New Year's Six. Well, I mean, that'll oh, just what the Sun Belt has to say about that. I think well, the state loss to JMU. They're going to, you know, we'll see what Coastal Carolina does. But I think the American, if it's close, will get. I think I feel like the committee will have given the benefit of the doubt, but we'll see. That's a long ways away about that. But the point is, from a UCF standpoint, whether it's New Year's Six or whatever, they could still win this league if they improve in certain areas. Because again, uh, there's not a team on the schedule, Kyle, that you could say, "Man, this team is clearly better than UCF." At least going in, I I still kind of feel that way about um, SMU as far as just because of the kind of team they are, them an explosive team is the kind of the, the 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 worst matchup for a team like we're seeing here that UCF has this year. They don't play a lot of explosive offenses, I wouldn't say. No, this um, will be a great challenge for the defense. I'm, I'm really yes. looking forward to seeing how this defense fares against it. Uh, uh, this is by far the best offense they've seen. With respect to Louisville, Louisville was more one-dimensional, really. SMU's got a good passing game. They've got a great receiver. Uh, I'm really – that's the side of the ball that I'm – I cannot wait to see Mm-hmm. No, 100%. And, and and like UCF, one could argue their biggest flaw is the offensive line. So it's it's all very interesting. That, watching them is is a lesson in what balance can do. And TCU took that balance away. So should be fun. Well, hopefully we get to uh, talk about it this weekend leading into next Saturday. Fingers crossed on that. In the meantime, Kyle, thank you for uh, joining us. Tell the audience again where they can find your work and what you're working on. Hey, listen, always fun to come on, guys, even for a, quote, overhyped game like the Georgia Tech where ACC pulls off, or excuse me, UCF pulls off an ACC win in front of a home crowd, one they certainly enjoyed regardless of how pretty it may or may not have been. Of course, I'm Kyle Nash, the student of the game. You can find me on Twitter 
at the SOTG. Find me on Instagram as the same, the SOTG. Check out my work uh, on Facebook as a student of the game. And of course, my work with the black and gold banneret. I got some presser action, definitely. That'll be interesting that when I come in on Monday morning with Coach Malzahn, see if I can't make that Sunday availability as well. Seven o'clock tomorrow night with T Will. That should be fun. And hey, before any of that comes up, guys, make sure you check out the knee jerk reaction. I'm going to be editing some of the video that he's going to put in there so you can have that to go along with whatever observ observations and streams of thought that our own Drew Glukov has about this game. That should be a lot of fun. Kyle, always a pleasure talking to you. Hopefully, we'll be uh, talking to you, obviously, on the podcast, hopefully, this week, and hopefully on the night shift next week. Same for me. Right on. But until, until next time, fellas, class dismissed. There it is. There it is. Closed it out uh, there. Uh, Bryce, so let's close with this. I want to talk about the Hall of Fame class real quick before we let's wrap it up here. Latavius Murray, Joe Burnett, Mackenzie Otis, Christina Sarf, Linda Gooch, the class of 2022 Hall of Fame weekend. It's always a fun weekend. You got to cover the media availability uh, Friday night. I got to be at the event as a guest. That was a blast to see them. It's always one of my favorite events, uh, you know, just to see all the former players come back and the, the boosters and it's just to see the former players and the inductees getting back. I think there's like 85 hall of famers. To, uh, and so it's not like everybody's in uh, a fun event. I think we both, we both like this class. We have a ton of coverage on it on black and including the uh, all the interviews, interviews that we had exclusively prior to the hall of fame, the media availability articles are up on there. Uh, but really a fun class. And Joe Burnett was phenomenal in the, I could tell you at the uh, Friday night event. He had a great jacket on, Smoking Joe. Tay was great. As I mentioned the story, how he got there. And I thought Sarf and Gooch and Gar Gooch, they had like two, three tables worth of cheerleading people. Uh, Christina Sarf, first rower, got to talk to Becky Kramer, the head coach for rowing about it. And then Mackenzie Otis, obviously the softball great, uh, one of the greats in the history of the program, continuing that great total, uh, run of UCF softball success uh, on and off the field, fourth year in a row that softball's had a Hall of Famer. So, uh Kind of final thoughts on this class, a fun class. I would agree. It was a fun class to talk to. It was a fun class to learn learn about because uh, learn about for sure. You know, being on the young, being on the younger side, I was I was not able to see them in action for myself. So to be able to learn more about at least in Latavius Murray and, and for his college days, because I think I actually had him on my fantasy football team at one point, but um, it was great to meet to meet Joe and Mackenzie, Coach Gooch. And Christina, just to learn more about what it was like for them here at here at UCF, all of them were I had some amazing things to say. And like seriously, if you are have the ability to go to that playlist on the Black and Gold Banneret YouTube channel, where you can see all of the exclusive interviews we have with all five of the inductees, as well as the media availabilities with them, uh, it was a it was great to be at the at the event with them. And I think that. You know, it's one of my favorite events of the year, honestly, because you, you know, you, you and I, Eric, we both really love the history of this program. For me, some of it is about lear learning about some of it, but I think we both can agree on the fact that we both loved celebrating that history. And the and uh, Carlos McCants, hats off to him for 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 a great event as as well, and getting all of this together, just a very well done event. And I'm glad that you know we have another year and another great class of athletes and co athletes slash coaches to induct. It was sold out the event. There's some talk they may try to move it to somewhere with a bigger bigger place to get more people in. 
think that'd be a I great idea. Uh, let's talk a few names next year and beyond to be on the lookout as far as, because they are going to do this annually. Terry Mahajer, that was Terry Mahajer's credit to him and his idea uh, among the administration as well. So this will be every fall, uh, as far as I've been told and understand. And that was kind of reiterated at the uh, ceremony on Friday night. Let's talk about some names from, we're not going to go through a lengthy list. I want to just go through one or two names, maybe from certain sports. Uh, obviously, there's always going to be a football presence. Uh, I'm, I'll be curious, Bryson, who you think some of the football people are. But of note, you know, I think softball, they've had four straight years. I'm wearing my UCF softball shirt. Uh, I think Shelby Turnier, it will be the next one to get in. It probably will get in next year as one of the lead uh, people in the class. First team All-American, the first All-American UCF softball history. NPF title, uh, the most decorated softball player ever. Mackenzie Ott is getting in. Shelby will be in as well. I think she should be in next year. She probably would be one of them. Uh, obviously, you, football-wise, I think is the fascinating one there, Bryce. You got some names in mind you want to throw in there? Yes, I do. So Latavius Murray has opened up a very interesting idea because now um, I, I feel like that if someone's in the more of the twilight of their NFL career that, and they haven't necessarily announced they've retired yet, then perhaps – that could open the door. Well, Linda Gooch, who's active, still coaching at UCF. Yes, so you're right. right. So, so I would, so I would ask, do you think that maybe Matt Prater could perhaps be inducted because of his NFL career? Uh, I don't know. Uh, maybe, maybe down the road. I'm not sure. Um, I don't know if that's like urgent right now, uh, but it is interesting. I don't know if we have a clear-cut football guy for next season. If people want to chime in and throw some names, we could. Because now we do know this. In a couple of years, we're going to start seeing guys from the 2017 team be eligible, like a Traquan Smith. Heck, the 2017 team, in theory, could be eligible in a couple of years because it's now seven years uh, past school to get eligibility. We know Mackenzie Milton's going to get in. It's just a matter of when, not if. Uh, I think another name football-wise, Shaquille Griffin technically would be eligible next year. But the question is, does Shaquille take that if he, you know, you pick him, you pick him to get inducted or does Shaquille say, no, I want to be inducted with my brother, Shaquem. Shaquem technically wouldn't be eligible until the following year. So I'm curious what happens with the Griffin brothers. Does one of them, both of them get in and do they get in separately or together? Uh, That's an interesting storyline to follow over the next couple of years, as far as the hall of fame is concerned. I, I also think that with with the at the twenty the, you know the twenty thirteen and the twenty seventeen teams now starting to you know be, have their eligibility uh, for the Hall of Fame, I think there's this that right now at least in twenty twenty three it'll be a prime opportunity to induct an an older football player, kind of like how they did with uh, with um with Burnett, who was a little further back from that twenty thirteen time and. I think that it'll be it could be interesting. I would love to see somebody from like uh, around the Dante Culpepper years get inducted. I mean, Mark Nonsense is a name that I threw out, I believe, to you last year. One of his bet, one of Dante's better receivers, uh, Cornell Green, I think, is also a name we we've discussed as well. Um, right. As far as, fo- as far as football goes, well, that's going to be the big question: is how does the committee consider adding a category where you try to go back to players that you maybe didn't get in the first run? In the 90s, 80s, etc. Or do they? Because the trend has been mostly guys from about the 2000s, you know, beyond. Um, Alex Haynes is a running back for UCF. I think could be a could get some consideration down the road. 
Uh, I think Mark Daniels, right? I think he's approaching 30 years broadcasting UCF. I think that is certainly worthy of Hall of Fame. How about a person like John Hitt, the president? Uh, do they get him in in the next couple of years, especially with the move to the Big 12 and the contributions he's done to the athletic department? I think those are some names to keep in mind uh, from that standpoint. From a basketball standpoint, Dexter Lyons, part of the 05 uh, A Sun or 04 05 A Sun championship teams, Kurt Spiral. For longtime UCF basketball coach, who obviously four NCAA tournaments. I think that's the basketball end of it, of things there as well. Kyle Bono, pitcher for baseball, Bryce, would probably be one of the candidates on the baseball front. Yeah, I I, I do agree with that. I I um on the women's side, I would say Jackie Coward is yeah. going to be coming up in a little bit. I think she'll be field. very interested. Um, Afia Charles opened the door for track and field athletes, and I think that Jackie Coward would be a very a logical next step to go in that department. I also think that, you know, you know, Christina Sarf has opened the door for rowers. What other sports could potentially get women's golf does not have one yet. Yes. I think that an an Ashley Holder is going to be eligible. Very couple years, couple years. Do they, does she become the first one or do you go back in time with some of the ones that currently have a lot of the records that you have a Liz early who got played some at the LPGA, right? Chris, uh, and then Putnam, I believe. Kristen Putnam is another name that's been – I know you and I have discussed as well. Do they go that direction? I feel like – I think is women's golf the only sport now that hasn't have somebody represented in the Hall of Fame, I think? I mean, technically, I don't think cross-country does. And that's, that's what – How about Anne Marie? That feels like Anne Marie Blaney's. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yes. I think that that um, 2024 is the year that she's going to be first eligible. And I think that she is a shoe-in to get in – very to get in very soon women's golf i i if i'm remembering correctly me i don't know is there a tennis one have we do we have tennis people in there's a tennis coach that's in there but not a player to your point so i think a tennis player could certainly be interested it could could certainly be interesting um the thing is is that i don't know if it's going to be for a while considering that uh gabe decamps Gabe DeCamp seems to be the guy that'll probably be the clear-cut guy and that won't be for a while you know volleyball hasn't had one in a while uh elena sarton's name is a, a name to watch 2014 i know you've got a name that you feel that also good consideration the volleyball front from the 90s yes uh, i will die on the hill that miriam metzkis needs to get into the hall of fame yesterday Be- um she is the she was the first person to be top five in universe in, in school history in both kills and digs and no one was able to do that until mckenna melville came along and if McKenna is going to be an obvious contender to be in the Hall of Fame, then Metzkis needs to be because she was in that era with Tyra Harper, Renata Menchikova, and both of them are in the Hall of Fame. So where is the due for for Miriam Metzkis? Uh, so I, I I actually hope that 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 spot that you mentioned that's um that or at least given consideration for people that were played in that time if they have to you know make another induction spot for it then do it and that would really benefit her a lot and i and i think that she would that if she was the first person to get in because of that first or second person then i would be perfectly all all right with that get her on the ring of honor for volleyball that'd be another Uh, step there that would, yeah, that would be really good as well. Um, right oh. this year, on the, this year uh, Sardin, is, Sardin is going to be going up on the Ring of Honor, which I I have to imagine. I actually think that that could maybe boost her case. To Absolutely, be- I agree. I think that'll help her um, case. Meg, Fitz- sure. Meg Fitzgerald, Tanya Jarvis, and Emily Watts, some two thousands era two thousands era 
uh, people are all also going to be inducted in as well. It'll be interesting to see if they if they're how considered they are. I think Meg out of the three of them, I think Meg Fitzgerald would probably be the best bet. What what would you say? It's a good question. Probably, but that's a. Uh, I agree with you that of this class, Sarton is the best shot. She could get in as early as next year. Like it wouldn't surprise me if next year you have a, a class that includes Shelby Turnier and Delena Sarton, for example, and then maybe Jackie Coward somewhere in there. Uh, a couple of other football players, by the way, Atari Bigby was a phenomenal safety in the NFL with the Packers. Great player at UCF. Played in the days of the MAC independent era. I think he could get consideration as well. I don't know what his uh, degree situation is or whatever. Travis Fisher is another name. How about Clayton Gathers, who's on the staff at UCF? Him and Kamal Ishmael. Hey, we got. how about some love for defensive UCF players, right? I mean, we got Joe Burnett this year. Maybe get another one. Terrence Plummer, part of the Fiesta Bowl, linebacker. Uh, I, I really am fascinated, Bryce, at what, what they decide to do next year's class, especially on the football front, because there's a lot of different directions they can go on the football side. Well, there's also the 2013 football team because I believe teams have ten, that would be 10 year anniversary of the team. That's a good point. If the now technically the rule is you have will have to win a national title to get in. That's why the cheerleading 03 team and the 78 volleyball team is in. But I actually think they should soften that. Like you're telling me that 2013 team shouldn't doesn't isn't worthy of a Hall of Fame. I I, I think they should. So. I, I wouldn't be opposed to that either. That's a good point by you on that. That's a, that's a good candidate. Yeah. And then, of course, if, you know, yeah. And then of course we can go all, you know, all day on athletes that we think we, that, that we think could get in on, you know, that were but prior to 2000 that, but I mean, Miriam Metzkis is one that I will champion to heck and back, but there's also Rick, Rick Bretton civic from men's soccer. Men's goalkeeper. Yeah. Yeah. Randy, Randy, just shield Hanstrom Olsen for men's golf. Men's golf doesn't have one in yet. So no, they do. They have a few. They got Robert. Oh, Dam, right. Rom, it's and been a while. It's just been a while. I feel like that it's due. I think I women's like golf, golf and tennis are probably the two sports right now lacking. And that who knows that I think women's golf is the next one that a question is, I agree with, I think Hash, Ashley Holder will get in when she's eligible, probably 24, 25 range. Does somebody get in before her? I don't know. Anne Marie Blaney, I think, will be the first cross country. She's the greatest cross country athlete. She's eligible, what, 24, 25, right? Class 24, 25 for Blaney? Blaney would be eligible for class of 24 because she graduated in 17, I believe. There's also, yeah. uh, on the basketball front, there's Keith Clanton, who graduated Keith Clanton. in 2015. Yeah. Uh, he finished up 13. That's another name to throw in there in men's basketball as well. So you're absolutely correct on that. So there's, as you can see, it gets tougher and tougher every year. And I also think they should grow the class from five to maybe six or seven. Cause I think the committee has a difficult job to limit it to just five. That's very hard because there's so much talent, so many great performer athletes and coaches coming over now that are becoming eligible with this kind of run that UCF has had over the last couple of decades, going back to CUSA days of success, even the a sun to some extent. So uh fun fun event i'm glad we got the chance to i wanted to talk about that to close and uh, uh it's a great weekend look forward to it next every year and uh congrats to the class of 2022 a pretty darn good class themselves with latavius murray who's still in the nfl uh joe burnett mckenzie Otis, linda gooch christina sarf pretty strong class i would yep i would say i would say that 
you know, one, I, I, I remember hearing a defense about the uh, about how small the classes size are, where you ensure that there are that there is the best of the best are the ones that get in. And I do agree that there is merit to that because this class, all all everyone of them is very extremely impressive throughout their throughout their career. I think the only thing that we that that we would I would say to counter that is that there's still some a, a lot more excellence to be had, especially in the realm of that 90s, you know, like 80s, 90s period that we've kind of seen go a, a bit ignored. And so it doesn't have to be like, I, I know, I remember talking to you, Eric, about how I think other universities have as many as 10 people get in at some point. I'm not saying that we need to go as high as as high as 10, but I think maybe an extra one or one, two spots, I think is a solid compromise, wouldn't you say? Yes, yes, I agree with that. So we'll see. I think there, there, there's constant work to tweak it, and uh, I think it's headed in the right direction. And uh, like I said, it's a fun event. If you ever get a chance, go cover it. Go go to one of those. A lot of fun. But again, my final thoughts on that class, uh, Linda Gooch is UCF, right? Like I thought, you know, we, you and I talked to her in at length about her an amazing career that goes back to the 80s and 90s. She's seen it all. And what has revolution, you know, that program with cheerleading, night moves, she's, it's all her. Uh, unbelievable. Well-deserved. Christina Sarfs, the greatest rower ever. Deserves. Mackenzie Otis is right up there with Allison Kime, Shelby Turner among the great pitchers and great UCF athletes along Stephanie Best. I mean, very well-deserved. And, you know, it's just – and then the football guys. Latavius Murray, you can make the argument, maybe the second-best UCF running back behind Kevin Smith all time. And, he, and he's been in the NFL – and, heck, I mean, Latavius has been in the NFL for 10 years, for which for a running back is – Best NFL running back career of any UCF player. And uh, probably you could argue behind Josh Sitton, only behind Josh Sitton – Asante Samuel and Brandon Marshall maybe his best UCF NFL careers to this point. Well, I mean, Gabe Davis is certainly. Well, he's just started. Though. Start. He just started. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah um, so I'm I'm very excited that some uh, that about the NFL players that are going to be getting in. I think Matt. Look, I, I mean, we mentioned at the top of this segment Matt Pray, Matt Prater. I think there's plenty of different NFL knights that could get that will get into the Hall of Fame eventually. But I think Latavius. I, I think you and I both both knew. The ad, that it was just a matter of time when Latavius was going to get in. Yes. It just depended on if if was it were was it going to happen after he retired or not. And in the end, uh, they just we they decided to do it now. And uh, but to Latavius's credit, even though he was signed with the Saints, he made it work, and that's good on him. Absolutely, and Joe that's, Burnett. Best of luck to him in Carolina. The NFL hopefully help the Saints out. And then Joe Burnett, great corner, great uh, punt returner, kick returner. Uh, he was Mike Hughes before Mike Hughes was. And uh, it was cool to have him and uh, back on there. And I have a feeling he'll be around. He says he's like 45 minutes away. So, Hey, no uh, one's passed his interceptions record yet either. No, he, you'll remind people of that. That is correct on that. So, all right, that, that should do it, uh, Bryson. Let's, uh, let's wrap up this show. Uh, thanks to everybody that's chimed in with questions and uh, comments. Uh, make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. Give us a thumbs up. And uh, also on our podcast, follow our podcast feeds, wherever you listen to your favorite podcast, make sure you, uh, uh, you know, give us a good review, five-star review on there for the podcast. Check out black and gold Andrew Glukoff with his knee jerk reaction to the UCF Georgia tech football game. Also check out all our hall of fame content. 
We'll obviously keep you posted on the other sports going on. You see a volleyball on the road, ranked 25th in the country. Men's soccer on the road, ranked in the top 25. Women's soccer with the week off, cross country getting going. Lots getting going. You want to follow it here on Black and Gold Banner at uh, uh, here on the night shift there. Uh, Bryson, end the show for us. All right. Yes. Uh, thank you very much. You can follow Eric on Twitter at, at Eric Lopez Elo. You can follow me at, at It's Bryson Turner. We'll be able to keep you live and up to date. Uh, good, uh, up to and up to date on everything UCF sports, including the men's soccer team, who's been out playing at Memphis. Always thinks to have another sport go up against football, but hey, what can you do? Uh, thank you guys all for also for coming and, and and coming and talking about this game with us and answering your questions. Also, special thanks to Kyle Nash for joining us from the stadium. And so, from Eric and myself, thank you so much for jo for joining us tonight. And uh, hopefully, let's have a nice and hopefully safe safe week. So once again, UCF defeats Georgia Tech 27 to 27 to 10. Honestly, I think I feel a lot better about the results now than I did than I, than I did at the top of the show. I wonder what what do you guys think? Go ahead and you can leave a comment once this is up on our Black and Gold Banneret YouTube channel so you can replay it. Feel free to comment on what you thought about this game now that maybe is a little different than at the top of the show. Don't forget to also subscribe. And don't forget to just stay tuned to the rest of us on social media for the rest of our coverage this week. For Eric Lopez, I'm Bryson Turner. Thank you guys so much for watching. Go Knights. Charge on.